Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold and the takes are hot. Uh, episode 63 here today. We did not get in an episode last week like we said we probably would. Uh, just our schedules didn't quite line up like we had envisioned initially. Um, but we are back with the Tuesday episode where we cover everything but NFL and college football. Uh, we do still cover NFL injuries, but that's about it on the football front. Um but we're going to have a big update on MLB just in terms of the awards that finished out and then a few signings that we've had, mainly pitchers, uh, for, unfortunately. Nothing yet, probably for another couple of weeks. Uh, a couple golf recaps and then a NHL standings update. And it's an off week for the NBA. Um, so we're doing standings update, stats update by week for the two uh, of NHL and NBA. So next week. We'll have an NBA standings update and an NHL stats update. But uh, before we get to that, kick it off with the turn up the heat. I'll let you kick it off. Um, Both football-related takes. Yeah. Um, Yeah, a lot of football this – well, a lot of football for the hot takes this week. Um, Mainly, I think, number one, just being that the the, the other sports are – I don't say dead right now, but it's an off week for the NBA. NBA is kind of been slow to start the year. Baseball, as usual, is dragging it for agency. So um, a lot of stuff pretty much dead. So a little more time in the hot takes today. And also kind of brains are on football right now for sure, especially with, you know, college football ramping up and or I guess, you know, championship weekend this weekend and, and the playoffs. So um, certainly a lot on the mind. But my hot take right now, or my turn to heat today, rather, is uh, the Houston Texans are embarking upon – or slash like they embarked upon this year, the greatest and most impressive NFL rebuild they've ever seen. Um, it started with the fact that they were able to trade Deshaun Watson and receive what three years worth of first round picks. Um, so, yeah. They received the pick in 2021 or in 2022, 2023, and they still have a pick in 2024, um, which is what allowed them to go up, trade back in, trade up into the first round. And select Will Anderson at three overall after taking C.D. Stroud at two. So um, it starts with the Deshaun, the Deshaun Watson trade, um, which obviously I don't think that's that was planned. Um, I mean, if I could go back and rewrite it, even I, I think a lot of Texans fans would say, like, we'd rather not have had to trade Deshaun based upon what happened off the field. Like, we would have rather not missed the time and all that stuff. Like, it's it's obviously not for a good reason, but um, he misses the time. So what happens off the field, they trade him. Um that kickstarts it. And then they, they're really bad for a year. Um, they nail the coaching hire in the off season, of, you know, this in 2023, um, they nail the coordinator hires and they nailed the GM hire. Um, they also did the process, right. Of taking the quarterback and then with the capital they had go up and get another franchise cornerstone on the other side of the ball. Um, Cause you already had a right tackle. You already had a franchise right tackle. And you really want to be like the glaring hole on that roster that you can look at at least right now. You get like they're missing an elite player at this piece. This premier position is, is it receiver like Derek Stingley Jr. is young. He still has a lot of time to become an all pro corner. Um, I don't think anyone's given up on him either. Right. So the only really missing of the call it four premier positions of the NFL of or I guess five of quarterback tackle receiver edge rusher corner like they've got four of the five right now um, and they're making it work with the receiver room. So. I just think from from kind of start to finish, even, you know, exclude the Watson thing, if you will, but the, just the trade, the, the process of trading him, getting the picks in return from Cleveland and the process which they've taken since then, so kind of starting with the offseason, this past offseason of, of making the right GM hire, making the right coaching hire, 
making their coordinator hires and then drafting well. Um, I think we're, well, I mean, we're going to see them make the playoffs this year. I think um, right now the Colts are in, don't think the Colts are going to make it in um, the bills. I don't know because the bills, they appear to look, they've had weeks where they, they lost to the Pats and then they had a week where they just, they should have beat the Eagles who are arguably the best team in the NFL top three. Right. So we don't know what the bills are because I think the coaching staff does not have a lot of belief in buying from the players at this point in the year. Um, so we'll see. I think, I think the Texans are going to make the playoffs though. And this is going to be one of the most impressive. Obviously it helps that you nailed the quarterback position and CJ appears to be a top, you know, eight ish quarterback. I don't know how you place him in the top 10 right now. It's hard to say, but he's, he's a, appears to be a top eight quarterback and appears to be, have the potential to be a top five guy in the league. Right. So, I mean, it starts with that, but obviously or it helps with that. But um, the process of getting Will Anderson and all that stuff. Um, and again, the coaching hire has been uh, beyond impressive. And um, yeah, and what they've done in two, basically a year and a half um, or two years, rather, has been vastly impressive. And I know they've, what have they've done it basically since since January when they hired hired D'Amico uh, has been nothing short of, of miraculous, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what they've done is great. I know uh, Texas fans have kind of been longing for a new culture there um, ever since they blew that huge lead in the playoffs to the Chiefs back in 2019. I think it was they have had nothing. And between the Deshaun injury and the whole scandal with that and then the coaching carousel, the GM, um, just the lack of good, a good front office, really. Uh, they're finally having seemingly all of that at once is huge for them. Um, you know, of course, it's another AFC team uh, getting it right. But uh, it's just how it is, honestly. I mean, it sucks that, you know, all the NFC teams, the the Panthers, the Bears, the Commanders, they're not they're not getting in a groove at all when they don't really have any competition outside of the Eagles and Cowboys and Niners. I mean, outside of those three teams, the conference is poor. And I just yeah. don't think they're going to make any progress either. I mean, it's going to be an AFC league for the next six years, probably maybe decades. Minimum. So. Yeah, I would I say decade. Just given given the discrepancy that currently exists, one player or two players ain't going ain't to make that difference. It's going to take right. years of quarterbacks to hit in the NFC for that type of difference. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I love what the Texans are doing. Uh, easy to root for a team like that. Even if they are in your same conference, um, I just yeah. like I said, it's unfortunate uh, for the AFC, but yeah, they're doing a great job on all fronts. Um, Tank Dell has looked really, really good for him. I'm glad he's panning out of the way. Some people thought he would, and then and they just they just attack this offseason the right way, and they'll be fighting for that division next year. Um, you know, they may even be a three seed next year. Um, so yeah, they're doing a lot of things right, uh, big time off season and season to this point from them. And I think they should get in as a wild card team. I don't know if they're going to be able to pass the Browns or the Steelers, uh, but I definitely think they can pass the Colts in their own division uh, to get to that seven seed, maybe six, but we'll see. It's going to take some work um, as a lot of teams are bunched up right now. But my hot take is that conference championship weekend, which is coming up this weekend and rivalry weekend, which just passed are better than the three college football playoff games, meaning the two semifinals and the national championship game. I think they're often better just because 
a better environment. And a lot of the times it's been better competition. Most playoff games we've seen haven't really been close. Even when you, it's the two best teams in the country, or theoretically the two best teams, they really haven't been close. I mean, last year was kind of an outlier, 65-7 to seven or whatever it was. But you look at the semifinal games between Michigan and TCU, yeah, that was close, but Michigan kind of just did everything they could to lose that game. Um, so it really wasn't a great game competition-wise. It's just one team playing really poorly. And, I mean, most of the playoff games we've seen with college football, there's such a big discrepancy in talent level. And even when you get to the highest level where you're the top four teams in the nation in college, there's still so much talent between those teams that a lot of the times you're just not really seeing competitive games, especially in the semifinal. When you get that one versus four game, it's almost always a blowout. Um and then you get the three versus two. It can be a good game, but just not as much on a consistent basis as we see from, I mean, this past weekend with rivalry weekend, there were so many good games. Uh, I was flipping channels, like constantly seeing all the games. I mean, full weekend, the, the iron bowl was incredible um, with Bama converting a fourth and 31 for a touchdown where if they didn't get the touchdown, they lose the game, like a single play uh, and they convert it in the back of the end zone. Um, Florida State, Florida was surprisingly close for a little bit. Um, Iowa State, Kansas State, the Farmageddon and the pouring uh, snow, if you will, was an incredible game as well. High scoring game, um, which was surprise in the snow. Uh, Iowa State's running back had a career day, um, an all time day. He's like 270 something rush yards. But overall, I just think the competition's better. Um, like I said, it, it might not be as high stakes, um, but there's a lot of really good games. I mean, Iowa, Nebraska, even though that was, that hit the under of 25 and a half, it was still a really it's good so, game. So, the, the perfect game to send the Big Ten West out on. It's just so perfect. Right. And then, I mean, Kentucky-Louisville was another really good game that came down to the wire, Louisville going down. And then to cap it off, Michigan-Ohio State with probably the game of the year. Um, going into it, it was supposed to be, and it – lived up to expectations. It was a great game throughout, back and forth. Um, teams alternated scoring the entire game. No one scored consecutively. Um, Michigan won that 30-24. to 24. And then in terms of other games, BYU-Oklahoma State, not a rivalry game, but an incredible game it's going to double though. overtime. Yeah. Um, BYU was up 24-6 to six at half and lost in double OT. Um I mean, looking other than that, Washington State-Washington was surprisingly close. Um, Washington went in that by three on a game-winning 42-yard field goal as time expired. Um, I mean, Georgia only won by one score to Georgia Tech. Same with Clemson and South Carolina. So there were so many good games this weekend. Just just this weekend alone, not including Conference Championship Week coming up, which we'll preview a little more on the Thursday Turf Talk episode, um, where we are going to predict all 10 Conference Championship games. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm really looking forward to this weekend, but last weekend was exceeded expectations, as great as it hyped up to be every year. Um, truly incredible football games and matchups and environments across the country. And I just think, in terms of the college football playoff, it's just played on a neutral field. It doesn't have nearly the same environment on a campus with all the fans, you know, waiting the whole year for that game. And I just, I think it surpasses the college football playoff games. Yeah. I, I mean, certainly from a weekend perspective, it, it it's, 
you're getting more than just three games, right? That, that, that's number one. Number two, I think we saw it in the Florida State-Florida game and in the in the Iron Bowl that, like, no matter how bad one of the teams and how good the other team is simultaneously, it's always going to be close in games like that. Um, it's uh, it, truly it's it's hatred, which is, I think, the beauty of college football, um, where it's, like, generally it's, like, not accepted where it's like not not really like like hey it's not really okay to hate people you know like in real life it is so widely accepted and encouraged to hate each other in college football and i I think it's that's what part of what makes it great um the fact that auburn went into that game what six and five and bama went in 11 and one basically at the best they've been all year and auburn should have been florida state went in 11 and 0 granted on a backup quarterback but that florida team has been terrible this year and florida should have beat them the fact that washington state was six and five and u-dub is a, the number number four team in the country and u-dub had to walk them off on a, in a low scoring game with arguably the top three offense in the country I mean, that's the beauty in it those teams have record wise have no business being in close games with each other but but here we are here we are because these rivalry games are uh they're special and they're and they're different um which i think it's something that I wish Texas Tech had as a rivalry game like this. Um, right. I mean, not, not every school does. It's very, very few and far between. Like, I don't even think there's, I mean, there's not, not, not many schools that do. Um, like, I, I don't think Nebraska has one. I don't think TCU has one. Baylor doesn't have one. There's a lot of schools that just don't have games like this of that magnitude. You can talk about our, you know, in-state rivalries all you want, but it takes decades and decades and decades of history to build that kind of thing. So, um, I don't, I don't disagree with you that it, that it's a better that it's a better weekend. I, I I would say I'm with that hot take. Um, I think I agree with you though that the college football playoff is going to get more competitive, and we've gonna, I think we're going to see similar to last year. Through well, the championship game we can talk about that being why it was being such a such an absolute you know waxing by Georgia, but you know I don't I don't think we get that if it's Georgia Michigan or if it's Ohio State Michigan again or even Ohio State TCU maybe. I don't even know if we get it that bad. Um, I think just matchup-wise it was bad for TCU. But I think, again, assuming we get four teams in that are one of, you know, Georgia, Ohio, Georgia, Michigan, Washington, Oregon, Texas, Ohio State, of those six, I don't think Bama's going to win this week, so I'm going to take them out of it. One of those six teams, I mean, I think, I think those are all good matchups. I think those would all – Create good good games. I think there's, you know, I think I, I I texted you. I said that I thought Texas matched up better with Michigan than than they do against Ohio State. Um, and same thing goes with Georgia. Then I think I, I think Ohio State would beat Texas. I think Texas stands a better chance to beat Georgia than than Ohio State or Michigan for that matter. Given just given the way they match up, right? Like that was something that I talked about with you and a couple of our buddies. So I think that's part of it. But um, they, they parody is a lot better in college football and the portal is helping. And frankly, we don't see Washington and Oregon in this situation without fifth year COVID year quarterbacks. Right. So um, I, the Heisman winner is going to be a fifth year COVID guy, whether it's Jane Daniels or it's Bo Nix. Fair. And, and that's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm all for it. So and, and portal guys too, guys that are talented quarterbacks other at other schools, all three of those guys I just talked, I just named talented quarterbacks, at other schools that transferred in the portal because they needed a fresh start, needed, needed new scenery. Right. So I'm I'm all about it. Um, good for college football. Parity's good for college football. I'm excited for a 12-team playoff. Excited for 
like home games on campus for teams, which is going to be awesome. So, yeah. But I'm with you on your hot take in a long kind of roundabout way. I'm with you on your hot take. Yeah, no, I think it should improve. Like you said, with the 12 team playoff, now it's going to be more games as well. Um, So it should, but um, the environment should be better across the board when that um, fires up in the next couple of years. Uh, But moving on to MLB here, we did have one managerial hire. Um, San Diego Padres, their manager, uh, Bob Melvin, left for the Giants as their manager. Um, So the Padres had to fill their own role, and they hired from within uh, their senior advisor. They did did fire – like, they did fire Melvin first, though. Just to be – like, they did fire him. It wasn't like he just left the dog. He he didn't get fired in Ferris, but yeah. Padres hired uh, their senior senior advisor Mike Schilt as their manager. Um, so I I think another guy I don't think he has any managerial experience. Um, is probably like the fourth guy this cycle, third or fourth that doesn't have any prior experience. So a lot of coaches, uh, presumably a little younger, that don't have much experience and it should make for a interesting um, assessment of them when we circle back in a year after they're uh, have a manager a year as a manager under their belt to kind of see how they went about business and um, you know, how successful they were always good to look back on that um, for new managers. But that was it for the managerial um, front. Other than that, think, we did have did some free agency news. Did he, did he manage in San, in St. Louis? I know he came from St. Louis. Did he manage in St. Louis for those couple of years? I know, I think he did, but they weren't I good. I remember. And I could look it up. I, I think right. I, cause I remember he came from St. Louis. Um, I don't remember if he managed there. I think he might've, I think he did for a couple of years, but it, they weren't good. They, they were not very good when he was there. Um, but I think, I mean, yeah, minimal managing experience. You want to call it that. I wouldn't. It's not like he's been a successful manager and is now taking a job. Like he, I think, had to go to the Padres to kind of rehab his image, if I'm not mistaken. Um, saw a lot of talk about Schilt on Twitter this week. A lot of I'm on I'm all on baseball Twitter right now with all free agency and stuff, and a lot of folks talking about Schilt um, as kind of their, as the hire. And I think they mentioned someone mentioned that he he managed in St. Louis, but. Um, like you said, and an inexperienced guy still, nevertheless. Um, right. And again, not a real successful manager either in St. Louis. So worth noting, I felt like. Um, but yeah, for agency, did we did we get Aaron Nola last week on the pod? Did, not, had he signed man. last week? He did not. Okay. Um, what Aaron Nola signed back with the Phillies, seven years, uh, $172 million deal, um, staying in Philadelphia. I know there were two, I know of two other offers made that got reported. The Braves made one for six for 160. Dodgers may win at six for 162, and there was reportedly two other offers from contenders that were made. I think I would hope the Orioles were one of them. I don't know that the only two that got reported with the Dodgers and the Braves that were confirmed reports. Haven't seen anything else about. I know there were at least two, maybe three other offers that were from unnamed contenders. So don't know who those were. I'd be curious to know if the Orioles are one of them. But yeah, Aaron Ola goes back to the Phillies. For a little bit less money, it seems like, than he could have gotten elsewhere. But it's not like he wanted to be in Philly. It's not like they wanted him back. Um, he's been a fit for them. They were, they were a fit for him. So it felt like it was just kind of a, a done deal. He was going to go back to Philly in the end of the day. Right. Yeah. I mean, it works out for them. Like you said, uh, the continuity already there. 
um, and a pretty good year this past season for him. Um, next up, we had a couple right-handed pitchers signing with the Cardinals. Lance Lynn signed uh, one year, $10 million, and then Kyle Gibson signed one year, $12 million. So just a couple arms for them um, as they look to build out their rotation and presumably what's going to be a pretty new set of faces um, as starters for them. Man. The Lance Lynn and the Kyle Gibson moves were uh, not well received from the fan base. I'll tell you that right now. Um, they were thinking they were going to get Yamamoto. They were thinking they were going to get, uh, you know, Blake Snell. And I suppose they could still sign a Blake Snell or a Jordan Yamamoto. A, a, people keep calling him Jordan. I don't know why. I don't know how to pronounce I have not figured out how to pronounce his last name yet. I've heard it a couple times. It's like Yoshinubo, Yoshinubo, something like that. Yeah. Yamamoto's his last name. They thought they were going to get him and Snell or maybe Aaron Nola was thrown around for them a lot. And they've, did they sign another, I feel like they got another, another, they traded for somebody like the, like in the last 24 hours. I believe they did. So I know they, they acquired someone. Oh, it was Sonny Gray. They signed Sonny Gray. Yeah. That's who it was. Um, But like. These two guys were not like these are two pitchers who should not be in playoff rotation type stuff. Um, and even like I know there's some teams that are going to have loaded, like absolutely loaded, um, like rotations. Like the, if the Yankees get a pitcher, they'll be loaded um, from a rotation standpoint. But like dude, these guys shouldn't be pitching for like average rotations, let alone on the postseason. So, um, yeah, Sonny Gray was a good move for them. I think it was a three-year, $72 million deal, if I'm not mistaken. Um, or three years, or was three, it three for three four? No way it was three for 75? Yeah, that's what yeah. I thought. Um, great move. I wanted the Dodgers to move Sonny Gray. To be, if they, had they missed on another guy like a Yamamoto or had they missed on – it sounds like they're going to try and trade for Cease or Burns or maybe they can run at Snell. Had they missed on another – on a premier pitcher, I wanted them to go get Sonny Gray. He's 34, but I mean, he's healing. He's the second in Cy Young voting this year. So, right. um, but it sounds like he'll want to get a contract done now. Um, goes to St. Louis. So, good move, good, good get for them to kind of get a frontline starter, if you will. Um, but yeah, the Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson moves not real, uh, real well received by the Cardinals fan base. Um, I will do the trade last. And so, I know time, like, timeline wise, it came first, but we'll do the trade last. Um, Running to pitcher Kenta Maeda signed with the Detroit Tigers on two years, $24 million. Um, former pitcher came up with the Dodgers, pitched for the Twins, pitched for the Blue Jays, if I'm not mistaken. For a, yeah. yeah, pitched with the Blue Jays, pitched with the Twins. Um, I believe the Blue Jays were his latest stop, if I'm not, in, if I'm correct. Um, yeah. Yeah. So coming from from coming from Toronto, going to Detroit, um, seems like a move that they. Probably needed to make, especially considering they're going to lose uh, Rodriguez this offseason. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez, that is right-handed. Yeah, right-handed pitcher. Seems like if they, if they lose him, they they needed to replace him anyway. So good move for Kenta. Good move for Detroit to get him in there and uh, just another another veteran arm off the market. Kind of, I'd say he's better than Lance Lynn, and he's probably on the same level. It's not a little bit better than Kyle Gibson, but in the same kind of echelon of Frazier pitchers, if you will, as those guys. Yeah, I mean, good pickup for them. Uh, not sure what their like goals and outlook are for this season, but bringing in a good pitcher there um, should provide a little bit of stability in that rotation. 
um, you know, every five games. Um, and then lastly, Jason Hayward, Los Angeles Dodgers agreed to a just a one year, nine mil contract. Um, you know, just another piece in the outfield should be helpful for them. Um, a guy that's played a ton of baseball, been around, uh, knows what winning looks like. So, um, yeah, it should work out pretty well. Yeah. I mean, going to be, still going to be a bargain at $9 million. I think he had like a hundred plus, uh, WRC plus, which is, uh, weighted runs created plus um he had a really good year he also allows them to play Mookie Betts at second base against right-handed hitters which gives them some more lineup flexibility which I think is something they were going to want they were always going to want um the, the words kind of like regardless of their pursuit of Shohei uh like they're going to need a corner outfielder just given that David Peralta and Jason Hayward were the two primary corner outfielders that were kind of leaving for agency both of them were, were free agents um I thought bringing Jay Hay back was a, the right decision. He had some, he had some phenomenal plays in right field. Um, he's a really good veteran president. It sounds like all the guys like him, him and Freddie Freeman are best friends. Um, you know, there's just, it, it's, it was pretty well documented throughout the course of the year that despite a tumultuous season for them, especially in the pitching, pitching rotation, the bullpen department, it felt like the offense was pretty steady and Jason Hayward was a big part of that. Um, I don't want to say like a revitalizing year, but maybe like a, like a fountain of youth a little bit in LA for him. Um, I don't know what it is, whether it's having Freddie back and just being a, I don't know, new environment, who knows, but um, he had a really good year and I'm, I'm all for bringing him back. They needed a corner outfielder. So a uh, big fan of getting Jason, Jason Hayward back in the building for Los Angeles um, trade here. Diamondbacks traded Carlos Vega, right hand, a relief pitcher and catcher Sebi Zavala to the Seattle Mariners for third baseman, Eugenio Suarez. Um, Diamondbacks were talked about as a potential landing spot for like a Matt Chapman type. Um, there were some rumors of like if Max Muncy hit the market, they would maybe make a run at him. He didn't. Um, just some third basemen that were going to be, you know, quality hitting third basemen. They're, they're pretty short uh, list this year. Um, but they made a trade instead with the Mariners, who are oddly appear to be like not looking to buy right now. What? Yeah, was confused that confuses me that in and of itself. They traded but, with each other, but. Right, right. Like it would have made sense if they made it like maybe we'll try it for like a trade for a key Brian Hayes. I mean, even though Pirates really shouldn't be selling either, but like say they wanted to or they didn't want to pay Key Brian in a couple of years, or you know, I know that there's a new regime in Boston, maybe that they want to move on from Devers. I don't know. That that that'd be a real big swing. I mean, Devers and Suarez are very different players, but point being like there's other teams that really shouldn't that it would make more sense that they're selling than the Mariners. The Mariners have arguably the a top three talented baseball player, just naturally gifted player in the entire league and they're selling. It's again, beyond me, they sold at the deadline, which was weird to me. Like they got rid of Seawald and who literally went and was basically was what helped get the diamondbacks to the world series. Um, obviously didn't perform on the world series. That's kind of a different, different story, but yeah, that, it was a good move for the diamondbacks. They get their third baseman. Um, they've got a guy kind of sliding the lineup. Suarez probably slides in middle of the order for them and just provides some stability. And then obviously a solid glove at third base. So it's a really good move. It's just confusing. Like we said, that the Mariners would trade him, right? Like they're not like he needed a monster, like a monster contract or they're short on cash. They're also not making like, they're like, they're out on the show. Like they're not pursuing Shohei, which also confused me because if the rumors are true that he wants to be on the West coast, why, why wouldn't they? They're one of like four West coast teams that could do it. I don't understand. So they are. They're, it's very much 
they were reminding me of the Red Sox with Chain Bloom after they won that World Series in 2018, where they were like, all right, let's blow it up. We won the World Series, let's blow it up. Like, what are you, what are you guys doing? It's beyond me right now. Right. Yeah, definitely an interesting move that these two teams traded with each other um, for these players, you know. I mean, I guess the Mariners get a contract off the books and bring in a couple of young guys, but at the end of the day, it's like, well, like they didn't really well, get Was even on the books for that much money? Like, I don't think he was, but I'm looking right now. I guess the Diamondbacks were looking to add to their payroll. Uh, one of the lowest, you know, they can afford to bring in a piece of, you know, some that has some kind of a contract um, in Suarez. So interesting deal there. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, the Diamondbacks make a move to try to solidify their infield. Uh, moving on to MLB awards. Real quick, I'll, I'll give you the numbers on his on his money. He signed a six-year, $66 million contract with the Reds back in 2021 was when the contract was when the money kicked in. So $11 million a year? What? Yeah. I don't under, I don't understand. I just I don't understand. It, whatever. Man. The Mariners. Yeah, the I mean, number it, is, 11, is $11.28 million this year. The same as it was the last two seasons, and it's and it's a it's a whopping fifteen million next year with a it's by the way it's a club option. So if he sucks, you just get rid of him. What? Yeah. Also trade him now when he didn't have that great of a year. Maybe he bounces back next season. Whatever. I mean, the Mariners are an absolute dumpster fire. If of a t- considering the fact that like they've got some really talented players, they're a dumpster fire, dude. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean. It's a strange year for them, um, you know, how they competed. I thought we'd – most thought they would be a good bit better. And then this move is kind of interesting, um, you know, the direction they're wanting to go. But moving on to MLB awards. Uh, these did happen a little over a week ago, but we did not discuss them since. Uh, Cy Young and MVP. So for AL, the Cy Young was Garrett Cole uh, of the Yankees unanimously, as it should have been. I think he led the league in quality starts. and um but the al and era and then nl cy young was blake snell of the padres receiving 28 out of 30 first place votes um logan webb and zach gallon got the other two um but yeah i mean rightfully so another guy that uh he led the whole league in era um yeah i was just super steady throughout the year for the for the padres and heated up as the year went on i mean uh, uh bad first half for Snell and then he really turned it on in the second half and I mean especially down the stretch I mean, he was nails um Garrett Cole was I think I think if you did like a league Cy Young he would win it overwhelmingly I think this year um as good as Snell was in the ERA department he had a walk problem um that's said he did lead in the ERA which is what ultimately won him the Cy Young award because I think outside of ERA and couple other metrics very similar to era um he really didn't perform like a cy young guy until the last month of the year so um and we even talked about on the pod you know back in you know august september like the guy who wins the cy young is going to be the guy who has the the nl cy young is going to be the guy who has the best like last month of the year just given how pitching had been in the national leagues in the national league um a lot of guys were hurt before the season during the season um very few guys were going to pitch kind of the I mean, there's not like a firm requirement, but like you're not going to win the Cy Young if you pitched 
half the year. It's just not how it's going to work. So um, guys like Justin Steele, Zach Gallon didn't finish the year strong enough. Logan Webb's another one. Didn't finish the year as strong as Blake did, and that's why Blake won it. Very deserving, though. Um, the fact that we almost had two unanimous Cy is pretty crazy, and then the fact that we had two unanimous MVPs is even wilder. But given the fact that, you know, I mean, Shoei Otani won the AL MVP award for the Angels, 30 out of 30 first-place votes, and Ronald Acuna Jr. of the Braves, uh, 30 out of 30 first-place votes. <clears throat> um, I mean, is he the best one-way player in baseball? I think he is. I think I think Ronald's the best one-way player in baseball. Like he might be the best offensive player in baseball. Just from like an average, he hit 40 bombs. Granted, yeah. he wasn't an efficient base runner, but he stole 80 or what's almost 80 bases. He stole 70 bags. Like he hit 335 or whatever. I mean, it's ridiculous. He's not a he's not a great two-way player, but that's not the that's not he's the best offensive player in baseball. So. And he's not a bad defender. He's just not an elite defender, I don't think I'd say. So, but again, the guy did did literal historic things this year um, on the base path, and and it's pretty wild to me what the fact that he really did hit 335 and go 40-70. Um, I think he scored like 141 or 139 runs in like 150-some games, which is ridiculous, the fact that he scored that much. So... This is a testament to him as as, a, as an offensive player, and obviously Shohei is, I mean, the most the rarest player we've ever seen, and we probably ever will see. So I don't know if he pitches again at, at the same level, but that's not really the, the point of this conversation. The point is that he pitched for most of the year and hit for most of the year and was absolutely unreal. So um, again, the guy, I mean, shoot, the guy would have won three straight had Aaron Judge not hit 62 bombs. Put it that way, like Aaron Judge had a 200 plus. Weighted runs created season, which is one of seven guys to ever do it. Or seven seasons, actually seven seasons to ever happen. Barry Bonds had, I think, three or four. Uh, Mark McGuire had one. And I'm going to forget the other one that, uh, that had one. But I think Frank Robinson, I heard that I was listening to a podcast on my, on my drive home that talked about this, which is kind of why I'm remembering this stuff right now. But, um, yeah, I mean, show it won three straight had Judge not done – I have a historic year, so right. Um, Joe is ridiculous, man. He's absurd. Yeah, I mean, both those guys deserving of it. Um, both had great years across the board. Uh, obviously, Shohei's was cut short, um, but Acuna throughout the whole year um, was super steady. Um, you know, that lineup was absolutely loaded, and he was the best guy in it, which is saying something. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much it for MLB. Uh, moving on to golf, though. So two weeks ago, we had the RSM Classic. That's played at Sea Island Resort, um, the seaside course mainly, on St. Simons Island, Georgia, which, similar to past events, has an $8.4 million purse. Uh, we've kind of been between six and eight and a half recently. Adam Svensson won it last year, and then Ludwig Aberg, the Swedish 24-year-old rookie out of Texas Tech, won at 29-under. Uh, it's a par 70 course, and he shot 67, 64, and then 61 on both Saturday and Sunday, taking home over 1.5 mil. He won by four shots over the Canadian Mackenzie Hughes, who has won some events in his time. Um, they're pretty much the two fighting for it most of the tournament. Ludwig tied the lowest 72-hole score ever at 253. He totaled the lowest 54-hole score ever, which were – rounds two through four, where he shot a 186. 
tied the lowest 36-hole score ever at 122 and the lowest score of the final two rounds ever at 122 as well. So multiple records that were tied or broken from Ludwig uh, a couple weeks ago. It does help that the course was a par 70 as opposed to a 71 or 72 where you're given a couple couple shots back, um, but still incredible stuff. Um, and this weekend we have the Hero World Challenge. That's played um, just south of St. Simon's Island in New Providence, Bahamas at the Albany Resort, uh, where it's played every year. The purse is just four and a half million. Uh, Victor Hovland has won the event the past two seasons, so he's looking to three-peat this weekend. And Tiger Woods will be in the field, and he hasn't made a start since the Masters in early April, so it should be fun to see him in action. Uh, he said today in his presser that next season he would he would like to ideally play in one event per month. Um, so maybe gets two or three under his belt, and then you get the Masters and the three other majors um, leading up to August. But it should be should be exciting to see what his plan is. I think obviously he's not going to be at the top of the leaderboard, um, but it's just fun to watch him play when you can. Um, just knowing that you know his glory days are behind him, and he's still he's still competing, um, still able to hit the ball pretty well. Um, obviously physically he has some limitations, but that's exciting whenever he can get in the field. And then Will Zalatoris is looking to make his first start in I believe like nine months or so um, as he was out. Uh, I forget the injury he had, but one that sidelined him for a good bit of time. Um, so a couple big names, especially Tiger. Um, Will, you know, was playing really, really well before his injury. So uh, the field's getting better. I don't know um, what the plan is going to be for next season in terms of big name guys. If guys are staying, we're going to live tour. Um, there was some talks surrounding John Rahm. I think he got a $600 million offer to go to live and is pondering it. So um, that would be a big blow if he did uh, defect. But, I mean, you can't really blame a guy. For, I mean, he's done a lot for the BJ Tour even since they um, created the live tour. Um, they're talking about a merger where they're going to have some conjoined events. But even then, John's done a ton for the PGA Tour. And even if he were to leave, you can't blame him for 600 mil, basically, um, guaranteed. So. Um, this is the last event of the PGA season. They're going to have the Q school, which is a lower level event where guys try to qualify for the tour next year. They're going to have that in a couple weeks, but outside of that, that's going to be it for the 2022, 2023 PGA tour schedule starting next year. It's going to be a calendar year schedule. So the whole season will be within the 2024 year. Um, going to begin in February, I believe, uh, obviously you have like the waste management, the Genesis, uh, stuff like that early on in the season. Uh, the players is fairly early, so um, stay tuned for that. But nonetheless, excited for this weekend. Should be a good field, like I said, with Tyra and Will returning. Um, and yeah, should be a fun tournament in the Bahamas. It's glad to get Tiger back playing golf, man. Um, obviously, like I think we talked about kind of prior and maybe even back in in yeah, since the Masters. Appreciate that he's even still playing right now. Um, the fact that the guy, all all of the things he's been through, all of the trials and tribulations he's had to deal with in the last half decade, um, man, it's impressive he's still playing. Honestly, um, I mean, obviously the Masters in 2019 was, um, I think special would be doing it injustice. Um, would be disingenuous to call it just special, but um, the fact that he's going to be playing what a tournament a month is his goal in the next tour, like. 
man, it'd be awesome. Um, again, I think just being able to take a step back and realize that we're still witnessing, again, the greatest of all time doing, still playing golf, um, similar to like still watching LeBron play. It's similar to still watching Mike Trout play and what Mike Trout's going to do later in his career and watching Tom Brady play the last couple of years. And um, even when Peyton was with the Broncos when he wasn't that good in his last season, like still, but he's even still playing. Um, Tiger's on that level. Um, it's, I mean, it's like when it was Kobe's last year, going to have it with LeBron's last year, stuff like that. Like just appreciating the fact that this guy is still playing golf. Um, I think regardless of the outcome, uh, I think is what fans want to see. And I don't even think there's any expectation for Tiger to win tournaments and even make the cut on half of them. Right. Like, I don't think people expect him to be out here, you know, competing for, for tournament after tournament, uh, that he's playing. I think it's just, we want to see him playing and see him healthy and on the golf course doing what he loves. So, um, hopefully he gets a chance to keep, keep playing golf for, for more years and, um, you know, keep playing with his son and, and hopefully him and Charlie get to do some, some more father, son, cool golf, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, man, just glad to see Tigers gonna be back. That's really my biggest take. When also Victor Hovland's him, it's, it's a matter of time before he competes at a, at a, at a major. Um, I don't know what happens this year, just given how young he is. Don't, I wouldn't be shocked if it does, but. I think in a couple of years he's gonna be competing for majors, which um I'm waiting for the Kent Hans when the mat when when uh when Augusta National needed a new champion, they didn't turn to an Oklahoma State or a Texas graduate. They turned to Ludwig Amberg, Texas Tech graduate. <laughs> I'm waiting for the for the tweet from Kent Hans. Those who know, they get it. Those who get it, you know, they, they understand what I'm talking about. Um there's a Kent Hans burner account too that like does the, the the pre-tweet from what Ken Hans is. And it's always yeah. pretty, it's always almost word for word. Right. Um, so yeah, man, I'm, uh, oh, they just did one. Who did he do one for? Gosh, I'm forgetting now, but some, someone from Texas tech had just done like something impressive in like in a sports, some, some sort of sport. And he, uh, he like popped off about it. He did a tweet and everything. It was really funny. Um, and I was like, ah, that's, that's about what the burner said too. So, but yeah, Aberg's gonna, I think, uh, Aberg's gonna be competing for him, for him pretty soon. Victor Hovland, I'm just seeing his name on here. He's gonna, I don't know, maybe a similar career path that Victor's been on. I think is what Aberg could kind of follow. Yeah, I mean, definitely think that's a possibility. Um, you know, Ludwig and Victor played a couple days in the um, format of the Ryder Cup. They played together. They dominated in every round they played in. Uh, very similar players, uh, vastly different swings, but um, similar strengths. Um, not many weaknesses. Are pretty clean players all around, with no, um, you know, overpowering strengths. Just really good at everything. Um, you know, I think Victor and Ludwig can, could compete for majors this year, um, or I guess next year, starting in April with the Masters. But should be really exciting. Um, you know, the game's getting in a better place since the. Um, split and I think these are two big name guys that are going to kind of head that next that new era that next generation of um, young guys that are just really consistent and solid and are going to be at the top or on the leaderboards most weeks Um, moving on to NFL here real quick kind of light on the injuries in comparison to what we've normally been dealing with so in the first half this past week Jonathan Taylor kind of hurt his thumb a little bit he's going to have surgery um in la tomorrow and probably miss two to three weeks 
Uh, unfortunate for him, but at the end of the day, I mean, that's the name of the game. A thumb injury is not terrible in the grand scheme of things. Chris Olave suffered another concussion. Uh, his third in four years. Probably doesn't play this upcoming week. Amari Cooper with the rib injury. The x-ray was negative, but he should be able to play in week 13. Uh, DTR with a concussion probably doesn't play in week 13, so we could see P.J. Walker, Joe Flacco, either of those guys starting. Justin Jefferson, uh, he was activated. I don't know for sure if he's going to play, um, but they do have a bye week next week, so it might be smarter to sit him. Uh, Patriots, Demario Douglas, don't really know um, what his plan is for week 13, but he was in concussion protocol. We'll see if he plays uh, the Saints wide receiver, Rashid Shahid. Uh, quad strain, um, better than a quad bruise, which they initially thought. Uh, probably misses this week, though. Uh, they said Quentin Johnston may have had a concussion. Um, I know he was in and out of the medical tent, but he was in protocol. No injury. No? He was benched. He was benched. He he was there was no injury designation. He just was benched, which I can rant about later on a different podcast on another episode. Well, moving on. Um, <laughs> God. The Jaguars running back Travis Etienne. Uh, suffered a mild chest injury, could be a rib bruise. Um, he returned to the game, so he's probably fine for week 13 on a limited snap count. Um, and rounding it out, um, Javante Williams, a neck sprain. Interesting uh, diagnosis, but should be fine for this upcoming game. And then Miles Garrett, a little bit something in his shoulder. Um, kind of heard a pop. Hasn't really been much out of there since. That's pretty much it. Um, in terms of things that have actually been noted, uh, there's a few other things that haven't really come to the surface in terms of diagnosis and stuff like that. But pretty much it. Um, like I said, nothing big this week, really. Uh, we kind of dodged the quarterback injury that we have pretty much had every week. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll move on here to NHL. Um, as if you want to hear more on the NFL, we do have a um, NF or football-centered episode where we talk about college and NFL um, picks every Thursday. So stay tuned for that. Um, if you've been tuning in or if you want to tune in, then every Thursday we'll have that coming out. But NHL standings update this week, uh, every three weeks. The Eastern Conference, comprised of the Atlantic and Metropolitan Divisions. Starting in the Atlantic, the top three teams. And first, you have the Bruins at 14-4-3, leading the whole league at 31 points. Florida Panthers at 13-7-1 with 27 points. And then the Detroit Red Wings, who are hot, 11-6-3, uh, 25 points. I had just closed. Hang on one second. Okay. You have you got the whole Eastern Conference, correct? I, just, I don't want to repeat because I, I, I got the, I got the Atlantic. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I was, I was doing the right thing. I don't want to repeat. With the right. Metropolitan Division. Um, I don't know why my whole my mouse. I just learned my mouse that quickly. My mouse is this thing where I can like gesture it like a phone, like an iPhone. Not a fan. Not going to use it. I'm going to turn that off on the kind of the set the software settings. Clicked it. Whole thing went away. Not a fan. Closed. Closed. Like just just the one tab. I've got like a PowerPoint behind it, so like I'm still seeing something, but not a fan. Um, Metropolitan Division. Rangers in, in first place here, 15, 4, and 1, 31 points. Hurricanes, 12, 8, and 0, 24 points. And the Flyers, 11, 9, and 1 at 23 points. 
in last place in the division. Yeah, so the Western Conference. Sorry. Not last place. I should not have said that. Last in the list, my bad. Uh, Western Conference, we have a central division. Uh, Colorado Avalanche at 15 and 6 with 30. Dallas Stars at 12, 5, and 2 at 26. And then tied with them are the Winnipeg Jets at 12, 6, and 2, also with 26 points. So, um, yeah, some good competition in the central right now. Um, You know, the West has looked better than the East early on, but uh, Pacific's playing well, too. I mean, the Western Conference has been just looking at the the top three teams in each division. They're just better than the Eastern Conference this year. Um, Canucks here at 29 points. 14-7-1, 14-7-1, tied with the Kings with 29 points, who are at 13-3-3. and Two points ahead is the Golden Knights at 14-5-3. So a two-point spread there, a four-point spread in the Central versus you know, a six-point spread in the Atlantic and a seven, an eight-point eight point spread in the Metropolitan. They're just a little tighter divisions uh, in the Western Conference and overall. Um, you know, just better, better quality teams uh, kind of at the top, obviously. 31 points, uh, three-way tie at first across the whole league, but you've got 29-29 uh, also in the Western Conference, and then 26-26, which would be um, you know, better than, what, three teams in the East, and then uh, 27 is the second best in the East, so um, right. just, a, oh, just more quality teams at the top, uh, more top-heavy in the Western Conference, which, uh, you know, I don't know if it's, I would say not expected, but I mean, the Island are supposed to be really good again this year, the Golden Knights are supposed to be really good again this year, so um, just I think less quality teams at the top in the uh, in the Eastern Conference this year isn't super unexpected, I don't think. Yeah, and then the Stars have normally been pretty good. They haven't been as hot as of yeah. late, but um, another really good team in the West. But um, like I said, NBA is an off week this week. Um, not really a whole lot going down, just, you know, early season stuff. Um, you know, no one's really had crazy games to this point. Uh, just, you know, the really good players are playing really well. And some rookies are playing well, I think, across the board. A little bit less high rookie production than what we expected from, you know, the top 10 guys. Um, yeah. But round it out with the ice bath. I'll get mine first, and then we kind of um, end it with yours. So since we already kind of talked on this, uh, just shout out Ludwig for already having wins on the DP World Tour, PGA Tour, and Ryder Cup, all of which he said he wanted to do in his career. Has done it within the first six months of his career as a 24-year-old. So Really impressive stuff. Uh, I mean, there's a ton of content coming out on him right now um, on all the main golf pages, uh, which is just it's nice to see. Um, and hopefully I can go to one of the events in the DFW next year and watch him in action, uh, watch all the top guys, really. Um, been wanting to go to one for a little while. Should be fun. Um, but, yeah, what he's doing is incredible. Um, a very simple, repeatable swing has led to him finding – great success early on um, i don't know if he's going to continue playing at this level but no doubt um, has what it takes to compete with the best yeah like like i said i think he's gonna be competing uh for majors here pretty soon and um again potentially a similar career path to victor hovland another another overseas guy and um who's really made a name for himself in the in the pga world so um super super cool to see that from uh from ludwig man it'd be Really cool to see him compete at a high level, being a Texas Tech guy. So super exciting there. My my ice bath also football related. I kept it pretty football heavy um, this week, but uh, draft season has officially begun in the Wooten household slash apartment. Um, I mean it's like I'm I'm in full draft mode now, dude. It's not not what I not where I wanted to be. 
uh, days before the start of December, but ultimately that's where I've landed uh, due to the fact that uh, Chargers have been really disappointing. Uh, Brandon Staley is obviously um, probably the next coach fired, it sounds like. Um, certainly I'm not going to have a job at the end of the year. It's kind of just a matter of when, not if, um, which I think has been – was finally like I think reported today by Jordan Schultz it was like the first time it was really really said like it's a matter of when not if um I think I've I mean I've kind of known that for a while um kind of the people that I know that have some sources kind of said that hey it's growing frustration it'll turn around real quick it's gonna be bad they just can't keep they keep losing games that are one score games and two score games so um I mean even the Ravens game is a 10 point loss but you can even call it a one score game until the last couple of minutes when couldn't stop a jet sweep on third and three. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that's going to happen. So that's kind of that combined with the fact that there's been a regression um, from a lot of guys, starting with Erwin James, not had a good year this year. Um, the corner rooms are really bad. Their right tackle, who they signed to an extension this offseason, has been terrible this year. Their right guard's been getting exposed for the lack of athleticism. Um, their left guard has not been not taking the year two step you wanted to take. Corey Lindsley probably going to have to retire from football due to a heart issue. Just, I mean, it's it's left and right. I could go down a laundry list of things that you know. You have your wide receiver two and three going to do. They both they both blow knees. That sucks. Like that's tough. You can't plan for that. But um, you can't really plan for a lot of that stuff. But that's the reality of the NFL sometimes. So um, I'm pretty heavy into the draft now, and I've unfortunately had to turn my kind of my tune to hey, what are the like the mid round options are like? Hey, what are the blue chip top ten guys looking like, and what what kind of how do you play off that in the second and third rounds? So definitely the earliest I've ever gotten into the draft. I was telling Brett kind of before we started that this is by far the earliest we've gotten into the draft. And I could pretty much give you a confident one round mock right now, which I think would be pretty accurate to what's going to happen in April, which is, I mean, obviously we have some guys jump up that we don't know about yet, but I hate to say that, but I think there's a lot of guys that I can give you a pretty solid mock right now. And, um, Again, I love it. I love the I love the draft. I don't love it for this reason. I this this is definitely not why I love the draft. I don't love the Chargers having top ten picks, but um, here we are. So uh, yeah, draft season is is more than begun in, in my household, which is exciting, right? I love the draft, and obviously not for the right reasons. I'm starting early, but still still an exciting process nonetheless. And um, be prepared for the Taj Brooks agenda to get pushed real heavy on this podcast in about two months. Running backs might be early just because of that. We might do running backs early just because of the fact we want to get the Taj Bricks agenda going. So uh, we'll see. Um, we might, I mean, we'll probably, have to, we'll probably delay draft content until the Ravens season is over, which is hopefully, you know, second weekend of February. Um, hoisting up a Lombardi, we'll see. But we may delay the draft content a little bit. But nonetheless, I'm, I'm in full swing, and um, it's my hot take this weekend, man. That's what it is, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate the trajectory that the Chargers season has taken, um, given, you know, kind of what they could have done this year. Um, you know, obviously, long shot, they still could. Uh, but, you know, unless something miraculous happened, it um, is it's likely going to yeah. Yeah, it's it gonna fall short um, of the playoffs. But, I mean, rightfully so. I mean, if I was in your shoes, I would definitely be, you know, gearing towards the draft. Um we just, I mean, it's a nonstop flow of content, which is just awesome. I mean, we're seeing guys uh, declare to senior bowls, legacy bowl, shrine bowl, stuff like that. 
um, to where juniors can go this year as well. I know we touched on that a few weeks ago when it was announced, but, um, you know, Shrine Bowl or excuse me, Senior Bowl is kind of the pinnacle of the bowls um, in terms of prospects and should be fun to see how that turns out. I know uh, they're getting some really good uh, trench players, which should be the kind of the main matchup to see uh, Graham Barton, Cooper Beebe, um, and then they're going to get some D linemen here in the next few days as well. Commit to them. So should be fun to watch um, all that stuff. Uh, Senior Bowl is normally early February, and then you have the combine in early March. And then, you know, mid-March free agency and late April is the draft. So um, we'll definitely get started on uh, position rankings and mock draft Mondays once the season concludes. Uh, we'll kind of schedule that out in advance to where we line it up well with the draft and with what we want to do with free agency content and stuff like that. But nonetheless, uh, there will be no shortage of content um, for you all coming out each week. I know we've missed some time over the holiday, um, but outside of that, we should be good to go. Um, we'll see how Christmas and New Year's uh, time frame works. At least, we'll be good at least till Christmas, at least for the next few weeks. Right. Um, finals shouldn't be crazy. They call them on clustered, so we should be straight there. But yeah, yeah, we'll see. Holidays are always weird, kind of how it goes sometimes. Yeah, I mean, um, we'll figure it out, but no doubt we will have stuff coming out for y'all um, as soon as two days from now. Uh, we're going to have the latest edition of thursday turf talk where it's going to be a huge episode um we do have six nfl teams on a bye week um as we have six this week two next week and then every team will have had their bye um so a little bit lighter on the nfl just in terms of volume of games uh but a heavy college football week where like i said we'll be making 10 predictions one on each of the conference championship games even including the mac the athletic conference um stuff like that so stay tuned a lot of content coming your way especially um college football side of things as we kind of round out the season look look towards um bowl games bowl matchups and then the college football playoff which should be announced next week um you know as the season concludes um with the conference championships this weekend um so yeah stay tuned follow us on x and instagram at cold seat podcast And we'll see you on a couple days for Thursday Turf Talk. See y'all then.